0: Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search indexology on the web or hashtag indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn.
2: Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other uh, you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Who are these people who keep saying stocks are too expensive? If they're so pricey, why the heck do we keep seeing such large takeovers that Wall Street adores, at least judging by the action in the stock price of the acquirer? When the buyer's shares go higher, that tells you the market approves of the deal. It's one of the main reasons why, reasons why all three major averages had record closes today. Dow gaining 191 points, S&P jumping 0.75%, NASDAQ 12.32 percent Sometimes these deals make so much sense that you got to wonder why they took so darn long. Why an online discount broker, Robinhood, eliminated commissions on trading. Well, they're going to make their money on credit balances, meaning your assets. That forced the rest of the industry to follow suit. And because the others made a lot of money from commissions, their stocks were clocked. But Charles Schwab with $3.8 trillion in asset center management took advantage of the sad state of the industry, swooping in to buy competitor TD Ameritrade for the relatively low price of $26 billion. And voila, now they have $5 trillion under their belts. House of pleasure. I remember Tom and Goldman Sachs debated buying little Charles Schwab. Look out, $78 billion Goldman. Schwab's less than $20 billion and, uh from you, and it's now gaining on you. Although I have to wonder if uh, Schwab doesn't really have, at this point, a better business model for the future, particularly for those millennials than Goldman right now. Unless the Apple credit card turns out to be huge, Goldman has some real catching up to do. It could double its assets under management and still not come closer than Schwab. Lots of critics sneered when they saw how much LVMH, the parent of Louis Vuitton and Moya Hennessy, had to pay for Tiffany, $16 billion, or $135 a share, given that the stock was at 90 bucks a little over a month ago. But if that was such a bad deal, why has LVMH stock worked hard? Tiffany's had some pretty darn horrible numbers worldwide. I think they simply didn't understand the new retail world that's defined by personalization and high touch. For years, the jewelry chain has missed numbers, frequently blaming the strong dollar, which hurts tourism. At one time, they even blamed Trump for lower traffic after the election. I mean, oh, who knows? They always had something. But you know what? You take something like the riots in Hong Kong. That should hurt companies. It hurt Estee Lauder. You see them complain? No, they sell a ton of of expensive cosmetics in Hong Kong. Uh, They didn't use an excuse. They may have hurt sales, but Estee Lauder is such a well-run business. Well, why that it didn't matter? So it's not just that you're, if you're in the premium category, like Estee, like Tiffany, come on. One does well, the other one doesn't. Both EL and then LVMH understand high touch. The need to maintain a close connection to your customers. Now, Tiffany's going to learn that, too. I am sure LVMH gets it because this company's been a marquee account for Salesforce.com. You know, they were lauded at TreeForce last week by Mark Benioff before this deal. He is the co-CEO and founder. The salespeople seem to know everything about you when you shop at one of their stores. Tiffany, on the other hand, they seem to draw a blank when you walk in. When you're shelling out a lot of money for high-end jewelry, you want the people who work there to recognize you, remember your preferences, uh, I suggest ideas. I bet their numbers will soar after, all, after this takeover closes. Soar! Even in takeovers where the target surge, uh, has, has surged higher, the acquired stocks are rewarded. Novartis. NVS. It snapped up Medicines Company for $9.7 billion this weekend. They're paying a price that's 340% higher than where Medicines was at the beginning of the year. And what happens? Novartis stock actually rallies a bit. Why? Because they're buying a a twice-a-year injection that lowers your cholesterol. The current standard of care requires you to get two shots a month. Fits in perfectly with Novartis' considerable heart franchise. I think the lower the cholesterol, we're going to find out fewer the heart attacks, the more that Novartis is going to look like a genius for buying this. All right, now, If acquires are being rewarded for snapping up other companies, that tells me that these stocks may be a lot cheaper than you think. And many stocks may be cheaper. And once you start seeing this kind of action, other businesses are encouraged to make deals, too. So you can expect more mergers going forward. It's axiomatic, people. It will happen. What industries are likely to have more activity? First, yes, is retail. We have way too many stores in this country. You hear it over and over again. We've seen a major bifurcation in the industry with haves thriving and the have-nots falling apart. Now, that doesn't mean losers like Kohl's, Gap, or Macy's will get bids. They're cheap and profitable. Uh, Look, my channel trust owns Kohl's. Okay, I'm dumb. Uh, But I don't know if anyone can figure out how to reverse their fortunes. But there are some underperforming chains that represent attractive opportunities here. I cannot believe how cheap Foot Locker is right now even though it had terrific same-store sales. I know the Nordstrom brothers do not want to sell, but that quarter was, it wasn't even given the respect it deserves. See, it's the company now is the thriving business online and off-price, and that's what you know I care about. Oh, by the way, don't you give up on bad, bath, and beer. Not with that new management. No way. Second, there are way too many software companies uh, in cybersecurity, call center, data mining. Splunk just reported a fantastic quarter. Stocks up again today. It could be a consolidator. Should New Relic, CyberArk, Fortinet, CrowdStrike, FireEye, Zendesk, RingCentral, how can I help you? Five Nine, all be independent? I don't think so. Oh, and here goes Palo Alto slouching back towards uh, Bethlehem here with a uh, big run after big run because of a weaker than expected quarter. Sorry, that jo- random Joan Didion, but I loved her. Okay. Third, there are tons of high-quality biotechs out there uh, with stocks that should be much higher. I mean, how does biomarine really? We had just J.J.B. on a May last week. How, how does that, with a solid business and an amazing pipeline, how does that stay independent? Hey, listen, if Biogen's Alzheimer's drug is as promising, as it seems, then it's worth a lot more than its current $54 billion valuation. Look at how well AbbVie and Bristol Myers have done since their biotech deals. Uh, more, more on Bristol Myers later, and I still regard some of the allergen as biotech. Fourth, we have about 1,000 more banks than we need. Oh, maybe 2,000. I know a lot of that's because the regulators don't want to let any of the big dogs become even larger than they are. But banks with terrific technology can deliver spectacular results if they buy banks with inferior tech. The same goes for financial tech. Now, we have too many payments companies. If so Square can't get its stock price moving again, hey, what a natural, right? Six. Nothing needs more consolidation than the online food delivery business. I think Uber would explode higher if it sold Uber Eats to Grubhub, And it would pay off for Grubhub too. Certainly, it's better than the current strategy. Or, um, well, strategy. Put the quote marks there. Seven semiconductor mergers tend to be problematic because most of them need Chinese approval. If NVIDIA is ever allowed to finish buying Melanox, that could take up the number dramatically. What did I tell you about NVIDIA? So it's up again today. What did I tell you? You saw Jensen Wong last week. How brilliant. How brilliant is that man? By the way, everyone offline says, well, there's Jensen and then there's everybody else. You say that about Bezos. If China, they still do. If China's willing to play ball, it would make a ton of sense for NXP Semi, Corvo, Skyworks. I don't know, maybe they all come together. Boy, that would be fabulous. These potential mergers don't all have the beautiful synergy of Schwab Ameritrade, where the combined company can cut its ad budget, reduce its tech spending, and lay off an immense number of people. Not good for people who work there, but great for the shareholders. They don't necessarily have the elegance of marrying LVMH's sophisticated tech and touch with Tiffany's brand name, you don't always get a whole new pi- drug pipeline for $9 billion like the did with Medicine's company. But my point stands. Bottom line. Some companies may be too big to be acquired, but there are thousands that aren't. And after today, I'm tired of hearing how expensive these stocks are. If they were so darn expensive, we wouldn't be seeing all of these deals. Despite all the grumbling about overvaluation, I think it is a very, 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 very good sign. Maria in Michigan. Maria! Jim, Maria from
3: Detroit here. I, uh, wanted to get your take on eBay. I've had eBay for
2: a few years now, and with the subhub, uh, selling off subhub, I want to know what I should do with it. Yeah, you want to hold on. I mean, it's not, it's going to be a slow grind. There isn't a lot of growth that I like. I prefer PayPal, which is the other part of it. But it, 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 it will work its way higher. I actually think that's okay. It'll work with way higher, as I see some stocks working their way higher while I'm doing the show, including this Ameritrade. What a deal that was for shareholders! How about Matt in Texas, Matt? Hey, booyah, Master Crimson! Booyah! Uh, I'm a retired, I'm a retired boomer, and I've been in the markets about thirty years or so, and I'm still a grasshopper next to you. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to take some profits from the younger generation, though. So I'm um, talking about a stock, RVLV. Revolve. Okay, I think I bought it's at thirty-five, and I average it down to a hundred chairs to twenty-eight, and it's possible. I'm in a position to where I could average two hundred down to twenty-three. I would do After it. An e-commerce move? fashion company. It, it fell out of favor. A lot of these companies that weren't making a lot of money or losing money, but these guys are okay. They're they're going to make fifty cents. Fifty cents. I I think it's a buy. Uh, I think it's actually turning right here too. I would make. I would buy now. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom.
0: Hey! Booyah, Kramer! Booyah! I've got a CD coming due pretty soon, and I want to invest in some gold bullion. What's the best place to buy at a spot?
2: Okay, well, I'm going to give you um, my sense on gold, just so you know, is that I like the GLD. Uh, historically, I have said that that, uh, that people who buy gold, keep it in a deposit box. A lot of times, it better keep it in deposit box in another country, too, by the way, just for pure security. Because remember, it is an insurance program. That's how I view it. And you can't be insured well enough. All right. After today, I am tired. I am tired of hearing that stocks are too expensive. These deals are a very, very good sign. And yes, if the market goes down tomorrow and you want to tweet me and yell at me, here's what I have to say. I like Tesla. I like Tesla. Oh Man buddy, tonight, with news that Bristol Myers has completed its acquisition of Celgene, what should your next move be? I'm talking with the CEO. And PVH just reported it to the close. In the midst of a global trade conflict, can the stock stay in fashion on the Wall Street runway? And get this, I've got the exclusive with former DuPont CEO Ellen Coleman taking the reins of a 3D printing startup worth over $2.5 billion. Wow. Hey, by the way, I also get the outgoing CEO. Who stay on? Stay with Kramer. Last week, the biggest merger of the year was finally consummated when an old-school drug company and Uber Kramer-fave Bristol-Myers bought a down-and-out biotech gene for $74 billion in cash and stock. You know I've been bullish about this deal ever since it was announced back in January, and we got a chance to speak to the CEOs of both companies, and it's already been a big winner. The new Bristol-Myers is a pharmaceutical colossus with a phenomenal cancer immunotherapy franchise. Oh, and if that weren't enough, we, we got something very promising uh, from clinical trial data from um, Optivo. That's their... Uh, Bristol's biggest anti-cancer drug. It's been developed by competition from Merck's Truder. That's one reason the stock's been rallying hard of late. i got to find out more about this. Let's take a closer look with Giovanni Coforio. He's the chairman and CEO of Bristol Myers Squibb. Learn more about what the future holds for his combined company. Dr. Coforio, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Giovanni. Have a seat. You, ben. First, congratulations. This is just a remarkable achievement by you. A lot of people felt, I don't know if it could be done. Well, it clearly is. So now give us what the new Bristol Myers looks like.
3: Well, Jim, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, It's a great time for us at a really important moment. The new Bristol-Myers Squibb is a leading biopharma company that can transform the lives of even more patients through science. Uh, We have the number one cancer company in the world and leading franchises in cardiovascular medicines and autoimmune disease. A lot of really good things have happened this year. And in every one of our franchises, we have leading brands, growing businesses we're working on seven new medicines to launch you may remember when we last got together i mentioned six launches yes where two medicines have been approved by the fda and a seventh one had positive data we're getting ready to launch that as well a great pipeline great people This is a growth company and very well positioned to succeed.
2: Now, it's not just enough that you give us a stock that has 3% yield and it's got a good balance sheet, you're able to buy back a lot of stock, but you've also given us what's known as the Bristol-Myers Squibb CVRs. Now, that's a a kind of a term of art, but this is a great opportunity for someone, particularly younger people, to bet on the future.
3: Well, the CVR really is a payment of uh, $9 per CVR, which we will make if three medicines... Uh, are approved. The good thing is we are on track. It is something we've always said we'll be happy to pay and uh, we're on track with those three medicines.
2: Including uh, some that could have gigantic, gigantic markets.
3: Well you know there are multiple opportunities in in the pipeline. The first uh, is our leading position in cell therapy uh, with CAR-T. In just two weeks we're going to go to the American Society of Hematology Conference. There, we have a lot of data. We have phase three data for one of our CAR-T programs. Okay, that could be because cell.
2: ashes where a lot. Of, that's this great conference. That's going to be of, a great excited. conference for us, really? and that's we're going to be, be
3: filing that medicine uh, by the end of the year. And it's just one of several products in our pipeline, which is really exciting.
2: Now, the thing that you're not getting nearly enough credit for, and I don't really get it, because uh, it's a wonder drug, is elocus. I mean, this one has taken share every single day. Tell us about it, because it's gigantic.
3: Well, it's a very important product, and I'm uh, very proud of what the teams have done. So Eliquis is a medicine that is used in patients with a disease called atrial fibrillation. It prevents stroke. It has a best-in-class profile. It has become the leading agent in the world. In the third quarter, we had sales of of almost $2 billion with over 20% growth. People don't talk about it. So there's three opportunities to continue to grow Eliquis. The first one is continue to gain market share. We've done it extraordinarily well. The second one is that many patients are diagnosed. They're not yet treated. And the third opportunity is there are many patients that have not yet been diagnosed. In fact, we just announced a partnership with Fitbit uh, because right. through technology, we think we can increase the number of patients that get diagnosed early. With atrial fibrillation, there's three opportunities to continue to grow heliquists. I'm really confident we're going to do a really good job with that. I hope we do a deal
2: with Apple, too, the Apple Watch. That would be good. You know what's interesting about this heliquist? Uh, I remember when my father first got AFib and people talked about it, there's this one drug and none other drugs will be used. Is it possible this could have a hundred percent share when people see outcomes? Well, oh, it's clearly continuing to, right? to 100% gain share. share
3: and it's the leading agent uh, in the world and it's okay. the first oral anticoagulant in the US. The trends are very positive because the profile is the best profile in the class.
2: All right, I didn't want to spend too much time but I thought it was important because we spent so much time talking about Revlimit and Opdivo. Now Opdivo had some great uh, kind of in the shuffle, data, when people felt like it was key, true to game, set, match, you've insisted me that's not the case.
3: Well, Obdivo had really important data this year. Another important progress we've made. Two phase three studies in first-line lung cancer for Obdivo in combination with Yervoy, positive overall survival. So I'm really happy we're going to have a role to play in first-line lung line cancer, Obdivo is a growth franchise, mm-hmm. and the next frontier for growth is the early stage of cancer, what we call adjuvant. There right. we have a very broad program. If you start treating cancer earlier, there's a real opportunity to make a difference for patients, and we're very well positioned there. So Obdivo is a growth franchise, and very good things happen this year. Now, we
2: were, uh, you and, and I both know Bob Eugen, when Bob Eugen uh, ran unsuccessfully for Senate, there was a series of ads that came out that said that he gouged, the price, uh, price gouging, that Celgene uh, charged too much for revelment. What's your view about pricing for drugs, what the politicians can do, and also end-of-life drugs, which I do think that there may be something a, a rational economist may not agree with, say, a grieving kit?
3: Well, let me say, first of all, we take a very responsible approach with pricing at Bristol-MySquibb. We've done it in the past. We do it today. We'll do it in the future. I think the issue of drug pricing is a really important topic. Uh, And from our perspective, there is a real need for policy changes because medicines uh, are important only when they reach patients. And there are issues with affordability in the U.S. because of benefit design issues. And so from my perspective, we need to all be working together. We as a leading company uh, are... uh, actively working with members of the administration. We work with our peers at Pharma because I think it's important to promote policy solutions that improve the affordability for patients. That's the real issue today in the U.S.
2: Okay, now, right, let's talk Patent Cliff for a second. I remember the Plavix uh, Patent Cliff negotiated well by Bristol. The Avapro negotiated well. People are so concerned that you bought a company, Revlimid, for Celgene with Revelman, that when the patent cliff goes, it's gonna take, it will be revealed that even though you made short-term money, you didn't make long-term money. This company is uniquely able to handle patent cliffs. Will the same thing happen with Revliment?
3: Well, that's the nature of our business. And as you've said, we've done it well before. Oh, yeah. Renewing our portfolio is really the rationale for the acquisition of Celgene. When you think about the new Bristol-Myers Squibb, we will be much better positioned in the second half of the decade to renew our portfolio when some of the losses of exclusivity happen. We have a broader pipeline, a deeper pipeline. We have seven medicines that uh, we're working on launching. We have over 50 medicines in phase one and phase two. We are much better positioned to renew our portfolio through these losses of exclusivity than we were before. It was the rationale of the deal. Right. I'm actually even more confident today when we saw, than we were when we announced ago. the deal That's because fantastic. of the developments of this year.
2: All right, one last one uh, that has always dogged the company uh, Celgene that we had high hopes for that maybe I got too excited about is uh, Ozanamod, which is part of the CVR. Um, it, it, when you say things that might be on track, is, That drug sounded so big. It sounded like it could be one of the great blockbusters full-time.
3: Well, it's one of the important products in our pipeline. And uh, as you know, it's been filed with the FDA and regulatory authorities in Europe. We expect... Uh, an approval by the FDA in March uh, and that's in multiple sclerosis that's just the first indication next year we'll have data from the phase three program in ulcerative colitis which is a big opportunity Oof. big area of unmet need for patients it's really a good example of the many growth opportunities of Bristol Squibb, as I mentioned at the beginning we are very well positioned for growth uh, and I'm feeling more optimistic about the new company well, than I was when I last well, if, came to see you because of all the good things that have and happened this year.
2: And that's something because you're very understated and you're not a hype artist. You've been very even about this. This is the most exciting I've heard from you. And I do not blame you one bit because you have you steer... One inexpensive, great franchise. Thank you so much to Dr. Giovanni caforio He's the chairman and CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb at $56. This is the kind of thing you can buy and put away. Bad money's back in Gotten some real mixed signals from retailers past turning season. Some changes are doing very well. Some changes are doing very badly. For example, uh, Apparel sold terribly at Kohl's. So great at Target. I've been telling you not to extrapolate from any individual retailer, but what about in an Power Play with broad exposure to the industry, take PVH, company behind Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. This stock's had a real roller coaster of a year, although it finally bottomed to sixty-seven in August, and since then it's been on fire, rallying up to one hundred dollars as of today. In anticipation of a good quarter. PVH just reported the close, and a good quarter is exactly what we got. Company posted a solid top and bottom line beat, with management raising their full-year earnings forecast, calling for four percent same-store sales growth on a constant currency basis. Europe, amazing. Tommy on fire. Calvin Klein better than fear. I found these numbers pretty darn encouraging. Do not take it from me. Let's think with Manny Tirico. He's the chairman and CEO of PVH. Find out more about the quarter where his company's headed. Mr. Trico, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Manny. Good to see you. Thank How you. Have it. a seat. You? All right, Manny, I'm a little thrown because to me, these numbers indicate that the market is anything but promotional, and yet you call it competitive and promotional. Mm-hmm. I think the United States is, but your broad panoply of business, clearly, you can't call it promotional if you're doing the kind of numbers you're doing with Tommy Hilfiger.
0: Yeah, well, I, that's a fair call-out, Jim, I, this North American market. But I would also say we have a big exposure in greater China. Right. And the challenges we're facing there with uh, Hong Kong and and the China consumer in general, that's what we were talking about. Our fourth quarter plan holiday, I, I think we've tried to take a conservative approach to it. Right. If the trends that we're seeing continue, we'll do better than, we've, than, we're, than we're projecting. But we felt given the... Uh, Given the uncertainty that's right. out there around so many different things, including six less shopping days between right. Thanksgiving and point. all these things, we just felt is we had a really strong third quarter. Let's put that through and let's hold tight on the fourth quarter.
2: How about mall versus non-mall? Mall versus online? Because what I'm seeing is, is that the promotions in the mall are amazing, but some of the other guys don't have, aren't that promotional.
0: Well, I guess I, 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 I have to just differ a little no, bit. No, I think there's. Your opening segment talked about there's some strength and right. where there's some weakness. Um, I don't think it's all on mall or off mall because some of the players you, you described had tough off mall performance yeah. as well. Yeah. Cool. Apparel, I, I have to be honest, apparel has been a segment that's un, been under more pressure right. than others. And I think, to be honest, this time last year, such strong business going on in, the, in our sector. We all bought into a bit of that trend. Right. And we've been cleaning inventories, having to deal with margin pressures as it's gone forward. And, and I think that's finally behind most of us. You can see from our balance sheet inventories in line, and we're projecting year inventories to be flat to down slightly. So I think we've got the business back in a in a good place. Well.
2: well, that's uh, perfect when you're going right into Christmas. Actually. You don't want to hear big discounting. I would use some more cold weather. There was too much warm weather at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I, look, I think that really did impact, yeah. uh, especially at the beginning of the uh, of the third of the third quarter. Um, we would all we always want to see the season get started, get some really brisk right. cold weather, and get off to a strong start. So it. That backdrop, clearly, you saw, you saw some of our key customers have a tough time with it.
2: Okay, how about Europe? Because it looks like it's extraordinary.
0: Yeah, our business is just off how the charts there. It's, uh, I, look, it's the strength of the Tommy Hilfiger brand overall. It's a 2.2 billion euro business there. Right, yeah. And our Calvin business, which is about half the size, also right. continued to grow into right. that. So we saw, you know, double-digit uh, top-line growth there, continued growth in margins. We feel really good about that business.
2: All right. I've been letting you go on Heritage, but down 13%. And I know you've got this Izod uh, uh, commercial with that second-rate quarterback from last night. Yeah, a tough night. <laughs> well, it's, that could hurt your sales, that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy. I don't, that's, we'll take that offline. But do I have to start worrying about Heritage?
0: Look, I think the heritage is a reflection of what's going on in mall retailing. Okay. Uh, you know uh, cu- our key customers: uh, Macy's, Kohl's, J.C. Uh, that mm-hmm. business is is struggle. It's, it's about uh, 10 to 12% of our sales, less of our profits. It's a small piece. I think we have to contain that it won't hurt us. Right. Uh, but this time last year, it was doing so much better. So it's, uh, it's caught up in the whole retail dynamic in, All right. in North America.
2: Now, where are, uh, uh, where are you making stuff these days? How much China? How much other places?
0: Uh, our exposure in China for America is probably between 10 and 15 percent That's pretty low. as we go into s- to 2020. So you've been is whittling your, that down uh, the whole time. Yeah, I think if you go back four or five years ago, we were closer to 35 to 40 percent. So well, if the president's to-
2: listening, he's got to be happy.
0: Well, yeah, look, it, <laughs> look, you I've, I've got strong feeling. I don't think the way to resolve these things is through tariffs. I know the president keeps saying, well, tariffs are an impact in the economy, but to be fair the tariffs haven't really hit the economy at this point. I mean, you know, there was those initial tariffs, $50 billion of goods that got, ta- they got taxed at 15 percent. But now, all of a sudden, in December of this year, tariffs coming through on apparel. We've got about $500 million, billion of goods that are going to be tariffed. It's going it's to have an impact on the consumers. I think we could all manage it in the short term with the hope that it would resolve. Because you can put pressure on your vendor base to do right. certain things. But, but long, long term, term it's, it's got to work on both Absolutely. sides. So it, it clearly will result in higher costs for the consumer, which is not good for the economy. No,
2: it might be hit by the time of the election.
0: And it's, you know, what's the worst part about Jim, is the uncertainty. I'm right. sitting here on December 1st, thereabouts, and I don't know what my costs are going to be on January 1st, That's crazy. Because, you know, I, is it a 15% tariff or is it a 25% tariff or is it a 0% tariff? Well,
2: this is why the enterprise is hurting. You know, big companies like you, they don't know what to budget. Exactly- you can't put budget. You're not going to go out there and start being a big spinner. Mm-hmm. Now, you have uh, taken, I don't want to call it a downsizing, but the restructuring Calvin Klein done is
0: huge. Mm-hmm. And, impact? Uh, look, I think you, you saw you started to see the impact this quarter. Sales were only up 1%, but earnings were up 7 mm-hmm. See improved margins. We've We've, we've, moved, we've moved out of some product categories, and we've also licensed uh, product categories to G3 on the women's side in right. our jeans business, which I think is going to be a big win for both us and for them. Sell-throughs there have been great. And the overall profitability and margins in North America in this tough environment. Calvin, if you look at our operating margins, they're up about 400. That's no, huge so we're for in the,
2: in the meantime, when the stock got to 70, someone uh, thought the stock was pretty cheap, huh?
0: Yeah, look, I made a personal decision to invest $10 million in PVH. You pulled the <laughs>
2: bottom, man. You know that. Come on. Didn't you buy it right around there?
0: I, I bought it as soon as I could right after the, the uh, earnings release that came out. Did any even I, come uh, with a six handle or was yeah, it in the No, 70s? It was a It's uh, <laughs> well, good it buy. Was, uh, Yeah, and I, 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 look, it's just the faith I have in the business model, the diversity of our brands. Uh, and our people, I mean, uh, what else is there in this industry? And I think, look, our long-term multiple has historically been between 14 and 17 right. times earnings. Even with this improvement, we're, we're, we're trading at just slightly above 9 to 10 it's times. Crazy. It's crazy. But in all years, I understand I've done that because of all the uncertainty. Right. People are just no, don't know what it is. So I'm, I'm, personally, I can take a longer-term view, look at it and say, over the next 18 months, I know we're going to be competitively positioned, and our our multiples should move to 13 to 15 to 16 times earnings.
2: know Jamie Dimon got incredible credit for when he called the bottom. You didn't get enough because, boy, that was some great buy. But, right, faith in yourself and your people.
0: That's well, what did it, it. it. It's only on paper now because I'm not a seller. No, you're right. but <laughs> That's all right. I want other
2: people to be buyers. That's what I care about. That's Manny Chico, Chairman and CEO of PBH. We flagged that buy for you when he made it. Boy, that was smart, but it may not be done. Everybody's money's back after the break. Thank you. A lot of people believe that 3D printing is the future of manufacturing. Although if you look at the action in pure pleat by like 3Ds, which you know we have not liked, it's clear the market disagrees because they've been fl- flatlining for years. Turns out this technology is great for making lots of one-off prototypes, but it's a lot less efficient at mass marketing. But what if 3D printing was merely a waystation on the road to even better technologies? Consider the case of Carbon. It's a privately held company that's come up with a 3D manufacturing alternative. They call it Digital Light Synthesis. Carbon's platform uses light and heat to transform a pool of liquid resin into an actual product, allowing them to create finished products at mass scale. That's what we've been looking for. The tech is now used for everything from auto parts to personalized football helmets. Last week, though, there was a new wrinkle. We learned that Carbon co-founder and CEO, Dr. Joseph D. Simone, was transitioning to executive chairman with Ellen Coleman, the former CEO of the old DuPont, an old friend of the show, taking over as new presidency of Carbon. That's quite an endorsement, one that suggests that this company is entering the next stage of its growth trajectory. Let's see deeper with Dr. D. Simone and Ms. Coleman. We got a better read on what's happening here, the leadership transition, transition, and what's the future for Carbon. Thank you so much to both of you for coming on. This you. is very exciting to have both of you. Ellen, you're a big-time CEO, so what attracts you to this private company that's just on the launching pad?
1: Well, right after I left DuPont, I got a call from a board member at Carbon who said, I want you to come out and see this technology. First thing I did was check Joe Simone through with the researchers at DuPont. Okay. They said he was the real deal. Went out, fell in love with the technology, really feel, all my years in manufacturing, really feel that this technology could really bridge to a digital manufacturing platform, and do so at a scale and a cost that was relevant in manufacturing. And so, joined their board, and I've spent the last three and a half years there, and this transition came up, I thought it was a great opportunity.
2: Okay, so Joe, we talk about, at scale, and actually real product, and we've got some here, maybe you can just point them out, what this one does, because it seems pretty impressive.
5: Yeah, that's a fully bioabsorbable material we're doing in partnership with J&J and many other companies. So this is a digitally printable material that serves a mechanical function in the body, but after a few months is fully bioabsorbed and transitions to your own tissue.
2: That's extraordinary. And, and this has been approved. No, it's, a, it's on
5: its way. It's on also, its so way. It's, yeah, it's on its way, but we've been working with J&J for now you
2: know And what are some of the body parts that it's worked well, well on? Well, so the,
5: the plan is in surgical applications to help you uh, post-surgery, uh, maintaining structure. We also think it's available for uh, uh, linking nerves, nerves back together. Which has sh- never been able to be done. Shoulder repair, meshes, all sorts of applications. Oh
2: my God, that would be the holy grail. Yeah. So I could see why someone like you, who understands both health care, yep. uh, understands enzymes, understands things that are really pretty ethereal, would be attracted to this.
1: Well, I mean, think about application development. That's something that DuPont honed over decades. Right. And this is absolutely a wonderful platform. The front end of it has to be applying it in ways that you optimize that model and you can really get that scale and get up that curve very quickly. Wow.
2: Now, Alan Mulally is on your board, too. He's an old friend of the show from when he was at Ford. I see you have doing some business with Ford, but also Lamborghini, (laughs) which I think has uh, maybe the greatest engineering in the world. So what is your role there?
5: So what's awesome is, you know, traditionally... Polymeric parts are molded and casted, injection molding. Right. That's a $300 billion market Mm -hmm. that is really cumbersome to introduce new products. We craft parts with light. We have the very first 3D printed parts ever on a production vehicle out of Detroit. Ford announced in January, we've got parts on the Ford Mustang, F-150 truck, and replacement parts on the Ford Focus. We also have parts on Lamborghini. Where we're really going now is electrical connectors. Jim, electrical connectors is a $60 billion market. These are all molded. Ninety percent of the warranty issues in cars today are electrical failures. Ninety percent of those are caused by failed connectors. Our partners, our customers, now have designs that are twice as good that they've ever seen from molded designs. And so it really opens up new waves of product innovation. That's
2: great. Now, Ellen, is your view that... uh, that this is one of those companies where you could see it come public one day, or have you had enough of that after the last day?
1: <laughs> well, I tell you, I think the fun's going to be in building it out, okay. and those decisions are, are down the road. But if you think about where we started with Adidas, and you think about the, the performance factors that went into the creation right. of that midsole, and now we're taking that and we've, we've parlayed that into a specialized bike seat, We're working with Riddell with the helmets. And moving into a broader area, think about performance and protection as a segment. And then application after application. We've learned so much about optimizing the front end in the file. We've learned so much about what has to happen post-processing to get a really excellent part for our customers. And it's really taking that ecosystem and that process, and the digital manufacturing be at the center of it, and really scaling that.
2: Now, uh, we know about the, th- the uh, 3D, not so great, and some of these other ones that are that kind of flown by the wayside. But Arconic and HP have tried this, and they're still not really getting any scale. Is it because of this, uh, the digital light synthesis that that's the difference between what they're doing and what you're doing?
5: Yeah, this is, you know, this is an area that's been around for 25, 30 years. Right. right. With always promise. A lot of promise, but it's been a prototyping technology. Yes. We've cracked the code on how to do 3D printing 100 to uh, 1,000 times faster. We've really focused on materials that have the properties to be a finished part. And we have an amazing business model, right? We have the world's first uh, piece of manufacturing hardware ever to go out via subscription model. So it's infinitely upgradable, mm-hmm. right? We have an install base that's growing, approaching 1,000 printers globally now in 14 countries. And with that, it's got really good visibility and revenue because contracts are going beyond three years now. Right. And it becomes a really important part to future-proof people from obsolescence.
2: And why now, why I know that, that, that Joe's you know, going up to executive chairman, but why get started in a whole new thing? I mean,
1: well, you know, so I always said that if I were going to go back full time, it had to be compelling. Okay. It had to be something that I really was passionate about. And, and Joe has built a phenomenal team of entrepreneurs that are just, have been just tremendous to work with as a board member and even better to work with as the CEO. And I think really pulling us together in a way as we can scale mm-hmm. I think it's just going to be a lot of fun working with Joe. Continuing to work with Joe, I think, it's going to be well, a great opportunity.
2: Well, excellent. Congratulations to you Thank and you. to you. Thank you, sir. All right. Th- this is a private company. That's Ellen Coleman. She's the new president and CEO of Carbon. And Joe DeSimone, who's the co-founder and executive chairman. Very exciting company. You'll see their football helmets tonight. Uh, Riddell is everywhere. Uh, that's their technology. It's inside the helmet that's really important. They have Money's back at It is time! It's time for the light round. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Skate down. It's for the light round. I'm going to start with Ashwin uh, in California. Ashwin! Hey, Jim, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Oh, my
0: pleasure. Your- yep. Uh, my subscription is uh, uh Cole Park. Yeah.
2: You know, it, it is just a fantastic company. Uh, we actually recommended Salvage Business. We recommended it a very long time ago, and we should go back to it. It's been fantastic. It'll stay that way. And that's just a great little American company, to tell you the truth. Let's go to uh, Abraham in New York. Abraham. Booyah, Jim. This is Abe from Brooklyn, New York. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Great, great. I love your show. Thank you. I own some shares of Sonos, man. The stock just they broke out. out. Good... It just broke out. It's looking pretty darn good. Um, I have to tell you, I'm a little confused about why it is so strong, because I don't think business is that good. But it's up 57% for the year. I would take a little off the table. Let's go to Devin in West Virginia. Devin.
1: Hey, Jim. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family.
2: Same. I'd
0: like to get your take on Elastic, ticker symbol E. Oh, my God. It's just one more
2: company that does the same thing. It does the data, digital investigation, and analysis. No. I've had it. No, not one more. I'm not going to endorse one more. I'm fed up. Let's go to... Ke- now, they'll be mad at me. I didn't mean that. Just a generic fed up, okay? Let's go to Kelly in Illinois. Kelly! Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm calling about TAPS, molten cores. They're in the news. No, reorganizing reorganizing all over no, the place. No, I'm
2: done with them, too. I mean, they, they, they've had more than enough time to try to get this thing right, and they, they've not succeeded. Let's go to Ginny in Rhode Island. Ginny!
1: hi Jim hi, big Jenny. Booyahs from big Booyahs from Barrington Rhode Island hmm. uh, love your show love thank your you. show in your in and your input on the opportunities and pitfalls out there thank you uh, would like your opinion today on car gurus
2: very C-A-R-G. good uh which one they're all good oh because Lithia's good uh Carmax is good uh Autonation is good and yours is good I mean look at that industry that is a great industry you have four for four. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave. Jimbo, how you doing? Good. How are you, Dave? I'm great. Thanks. Uh, Costco, I've owned it for about a year and a half. She's had a good run. What do you think? All right. Here's what I want you to do. I think that it's going to mark some time. I think people are worried that it's going to be one of those big boxes that is not like Target. I think that any time the stock has been down in the last five years, you had to buy, buy, buy. But I would buy more if it came down. I would certainly not sell the stock. Let's go to Dexter in California. Dexter.
0: Hey, booyah, Jim. Uh, I came across this stock the other day, Pivotal Software (PVTL). Now, it, it did a few funky
2: things. I'm just wondering if it has momentum for next year. Did no, you, I mean, isn't that a we had a takeover situation going on there? We're uh, no, we're moving on to the next one. We're moving on to the next one. We're done there uh, because I got a proposed deal. We're not arbitrageurs. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer. Hey, it's up over 60% on the year. It meets the rule of 40. It's not no Turex. It's alterix eh? I like alterix so much, AYX. Remember what he said? It's Alter and A-X. I mean, that guy's a genius. We're buyers. One of my absolute favorite tech stocks. Should have put that one instead of sellers. And that, laser, good, and I'm the lightning it around! Is it finally time to buy some stock in Uber? This morning, the stock was down roughly 6% on the news that the ride-sharing company may lose London. Oh, boy, that's a gigantic market for Uber, with 45,000 drivers generating an immense amount of revenue. Why? Because Transport for London, the regulatory body that governs cabs in London, found that 14,000 Uber trips were driven by maybe impersonators, some of them had no insurance. I mean, it was a nightmare. But wait a second. The company says that 14,000 trips made up less than a percent of the rides they've facilitated. There haven't been any recent incidents, so come on. As for the insurance issue, Uber says they've solved that, too, so they're going to appeal. Tony West, the general, the general counsel, who is incredibly savvy, will make that case for Uber there. And in the interim, the service will still be available in London pending resolution. But it's not a slam dunk. Like most municipal regulators, for London tends to protect the interests of what basically amounts to a guild of cab drivers. It's not like New York where the medallion holders seem to have very little pull. On the other hand, this is by no means an open-shut case, which is why the stock immediately bounced back, closing down just 1.5%. That's it. There's a more important reason why Uber was able to rebound. The lockup on insider selling expired nearly three weeks ago. This is one of the largest lockup expirations in history, if not the largest. And now most of these new shares have finally been digested. Put away! Former CEO Travis Kalanick has sold nearly $1.5 billion worth of stock so far this month. Nice. You had a lot of people cashing out. But if they're done selling, the stock can rally. I want any good news. Earlier this month, I told you to wait back into Lyft. Since then, the stocks climbed more than 10%. As for Uber, I told you to wait to see how the lockup expiration plays out. And that's now safely in the rearview mirror. Of course, I don't want to get too aggressive. The company itself continues to point out the things that it did wrong. But what we heard from them the last time they reported, was a commitment to discipline that puts Uber in sync with well-run, publicly comp- traded companies. It makes it feel a uh, lot less like those overhyped, overpriced, venture capital-funded private operations, many of which we saw when we were in San Francisco last week. Specifically, management talked about being willing to get out of losing markets. It's like their Uber Eats food delivery business that's responsible for a big chunk of the company's losses. For Uber Eats, 15, 1.5% of their markets accounts for half of the unit's losses. That's incredible. And it suggests that if they simply drop those markets or if Uber were to sell the whole business to Grubhub, you could see a gigantic jump in the stock. Unfortunately, like everyone else in the delivery business, Uber Eats is being crushed by DoorDash, which seems to have unlimited funding that allows it to endlessly lose money because it's private. If Uber were to combine Eats with Postmates or even Grubhub, taking you out a competitor, that might be a big positive. Although I'm not sure the market would initially understand what's happening longer term, though. If the food delivery business gets rationalized the way the ride-sharing market's been rationalized with lots of dropouts lately, then you'll be able to make an actual investment case for Uber on discounted cash flow or an earnings for taxes, depreciation, and amortization 2021, not 20. It's not too long from now, though. When you think about it, the calendar about to flip. Meanwhile, Uber caught two upgrades in the last couple of weeks. One argued the stock could have roughly uh, 90% upside. It was keen on this idea of Uber Eats going over to Grubba, by the way. I know there's still some skepticism, tremendous skepticism. Hey, I just liked this from day one. I was only ever really enamored of Uber Freight. The trucking business has made great strides and lower the cost of logistics in this country. Now though, I think Uber's management is almost done playing defense. The overhang over insider selling is behind it. That's why I am betting the stock can go higher from here, which is why it is time to get to that bounce off the London low to do some buying in the stock of Uber. So stick with Kramer. All right, let's go over them tonight. HPE, disappointing revenues. People aren't going to like that. Nutanix with a very strong quarter. PVH, we continue to like it. There's going to be some profit taking after that very big run. But remember, Romani Chirico bought that stock. You want to be with him, not against him. Like I said, it's always a bull market summer. Probably am find it just for your radio man money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you
1: tomorrow.
4: I want people to feel like they just learned something.